Hello and welcome to What a Picture, a movie podcast where we go through the sight and sound greatest films of all time critics poll week by week and discuss what makes a great film great. I am Brian. I'm Hannah. There we go. <laughs> and today we I have was... a guest on. Yes, yes we do. Yes, we have Olivia Lancaster, who is a filmmaker, student, and critic on the pod. Olivia, so great to have you on. Yeah, great to be here. Looking forward to our discussion. Yes. This is going to be a good one. A great yeah. one. Yeah. I... Uh, well, we'll do the plot summary first. I'm always so tempted to talk about the movie before our plot summary, but for listeners who have not uh, watched the movie in a little while, I think it's helpful. And if you have not watched this movie, I would not recommend uh, listening to the plot summary. Go watch the movie and then come back for this one, especially. Hey, Brian, should we tell them what movie we watched? Oh, we watched Parasite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, this is Parasite, 2019 South Korean film, um, swept the Oscars deservingly, and we're going to talk about it today. Um, this plot summary is very Korean name heavy. Please don't come after me. I'm very sorry. My pronunciation is going to be poo-poo, but that does not take away from the movie. So let's get into it. The Kim family live in a low-income neighborhood in Seoul. The Kim's son, Ki-woo, gets an opportunity to tutor the daughter of the rich Park family by posing as a university student. Soon, lies pile on top of lies, and the whole Kim family gets hired by the Park family in different roles, without the Park family knowing that the Kim family is related. When the Park family leaves for a camping trip, the Kim family celebrate their new roles and deception in the Park house. However, the former housekeeper, Moon Gwang, rings the doorbell, is led in by Mrs. Kim, and runs downstairs, where it is revealed that her husband, Gyeonse, has been living in a secret bunker unbeknownst to the Parks and Kims. When Moon Gwang and Gyeonse realize that uh, the Kim family is related, they threaten to send an incriminating video to the Park family. The Kim family overtakes them and deletes the video. Suddenly, Mrs. Kim gets a call that the Park family is coming home, and in the ensuing chaos, Gun Sei is restrained, Moon Gwang is kicked down the stairs and badly injured, and the majority of the Kim family manages to hide in the house before the Park family arrives. The next day, the Parks have an impromptu birthday party for their son, and Ki Woo frees Gun Sei, who bludgeons him with a rock. Gun Sei then stabs the Kim's daughter, Ji Kong. Uh, Ki Jung to death. When Mrs. Or Mrs. Kim manages to skewer Yunse <laughs> before he kills anyone else. However, Mr. Kim, sick of the treatment he has received from the Park family, stabs Mr. Park and runs off to the bunker before anyone can realize what has happened. Weeks later, or perhaps longer than weeks later, Ki Woo has discovered uh, or recovered from his wounds and vows to buy the house and free his father. Wow, that is a lot of plot and a lot of names. Thank you uh, for doing Did that. Did I do Hannah. okay on the names? I don't think I'd ever heard Yun Sei's name spoken. Yeah. So I just I just went phonetic on that bad boy. I don't yeah, know. I, I think you did all right. 
I think you did all right. I uh, I accidentally left a trap in you where I called the Kim family the Park family. So, but I got it. I I snapped yeah, yeah. it. I, I fixed it in real time. That's that's a professional podcaster right there. It's and great. by professional, I mean I love it. I I just yeah, we're not professional. Although we do have new mics. Can anyone tell the um, improvement in in recording quality? I sure hope so. Brian worked very we'll hard see. on this setup. Yeah. Um. Great. So well, Olivia. Oh- you picked this movie, which great job. I've been really excited to watch this again. Um, but why did you pick this movie? Yeah, uh, so Parasite, when I was first getting into films uh, late 2019 and then throughout the pandemic, it was like the movie because, you know, fall, winter 2019, it was winning all the awards. Everyone was going crazy for it. And it's specifically the first international film and first R-rated film. Like I deliberately sought out. I was like, oh, I gotta see this. Everybody's raving about it. I gotta see it. And then I watch it and it just absolutely lived up to the hype. Yeah. And so ever since it's just been a formative film for getting me into not necessarily obscure films, but international art films it's a very popular film it's like that stepping stone and it's just always been one of my favorite movies since then and i mean at one point it was my favorite movie it's kind of slid down the list but mm-hmm. it's always one of my favorite and favorites and re-watching it uh, last night just completely cemented it this is it's just phenomenal in every way it's i have no problems with it so and yes. I just thought felt it would uh, make for a great discussion. So yeah, that's something we Absolutely. say a lot. Like we have no notes for this movie. There is nothing we need to make better. Um, yeah, and I think your experience of this movie kind of being a first step into international film or more artistic film, you know, moving away from not that big blockbusters aren't wonderful, but taking a step away and maybe rabbit trailing down towards some other forms of film. I imagine, particularly with its timing around the pandemic, that, yeah, your experience is not incredibly unique in that no one else, like this wasn't anybody else's introduction to new areas of film. So um, I really love that that's part of your story, especially, you know, late 2019 when it's a, it's a good time to release a movie if you're going to do it pre-pandemic. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. I watched that. And then I moved to a new place and then everything started closing down. So yeah. just, you know, on streaming and stuff, I just tried to seek out movies. I remember uh, watching Snowpiercer, mm. loving it yeah. like, around that time, same director. And so, yeah, it was just kind of the gateway drug, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I really love uh, Snowpiercer. It's a it's a great movie. So he's had a really interesting career so far. He starts out in in Korea and makes a couple of movies in Memories of Murder and The Host that we'd sort of typically think of as international breakthroughs, like on a scale that we've seen before. He breaks on, he gets gets recognition. Uh, in the festival circuit and that sort of thing. He makes a couple of English language films uh, and then he goes back to Korea to make Parasite and 
it's just on a completely different level that we've ever seen an international breakthrough like on this level particularly in in the u.s i was a little worried coming back to it uh this time that it wouldn't hit quite the same uh but it absolutely did it's just a phenomenal movie and i think a lot of the like you can sort of psych yourself up because it's been in the cultural consciousness for so long like it had a very long like because it won the palme d'or it can that year and then went all the way through an oscar campaign and surprised and then now is on this sight and sound list there's been just a lot of talk about this movie and whenever that happens i think people like to uh be contrarian and say well it's not that good just because they're sort of getting tired of talking about it but like watching the movie again is just like yeah this deserves everything that it's gotten it's so good yeah i mean this is only my second time seeing it and i remember the first time brian did we see it in theater or did we watch it at home do you remember we saw it in the theaters yeah i think i yeah and so you know it's a lot you can't get distracted by your phone or your dogs or your kids or whatever at home or at the theater. And I remember the whole time watching it the first time, I thought, I don't know what genre this movie is. Like when mm-hmm. I heard the name Parasite, I'm like, okay, it's horror. It's it's blood and guts. It's about like a burrowing millipede <laughs> or whatever. Um, and but even throughout the movie, I remember leaving being like something amazing just happened to me, but I don't know how I feel about it. And then this time watching it, it's been a couple of years, but I knew the main the main things that were coming. Um, And it still hit me like, oh, I remember the feeling that this is going to make me feel like I remember that I know the sensation I'm going to have now. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, it definitely holds up. I I maybe enjoyed it actually more this time just because I was able to prepare myself (laughs) for the emotional response. But um yeah it's one of those where you know sometimes when you know what's coming it's less enjoyable but this one is such a delight to revisit even though it is um doing something really thrilling with revealing information throughout the movie like even if you know what's coming it's so well crafted that mm-hmm. it really does lend itself to rewatch in a fun way. Yeah, I'm big fan, big fan. Um, yes. So you guys have seen other Bong Joon Ho Bong Joon Ho movies before? This was my first one that I had seen, and then I went back and and saw some other ones as well. Okay. Same. Yes. Yeah. He's got another one coming out next year, an English language one, I believe, uh, science fiction sort of thing. So I'm excited uh, to see what he does with that. But it has been a good, you know, it's been four years since he made this. So uh, excited to see, you know, what what he's got up his sleeve uh, next. So because this is his first this will be his first one since Parasite. That's right. Yeah. Oh, wow. That'll be fun. Yeah, it'll be great. Okay, so uh, this is a very character-heavy movie. It's a very sequence-heavy movie, so I want to walk a little bit through both. But first of all, just speaking to like the changing genre nature of it, you've got 
it I think for me this time it's it's a thriller movie that doesn't reveal itself as a thriller until about halfway through and that turn into full thriller territory is just so effective so i think it does ultimately have sort of a consistent genre at least once you get past some of the setup but it does do like turns into just sort of outright comedy and you know more dramatic prestige sort of thing and so it's playing in a lot of different areas and so i think talking through some of the sequences will be interesting and you know and what they're doing in each so the first one that really stood out to me, you know, you've got the setup stuff, which is really well done. But when the Kim family starts conning their way into all getting hired by the Park family, what were y'all's uh, impressions of of that sequence in particular? Well, it's this sort of progression into moral ambiguity, like with each job to take. So the first one's like, okay, we're taking this job that I know I'm qualified for, but I have to, you know, fudge some documents to uh, just to get the job. But I'm gonna use the job to like get the more formal, uh, the more formal paperwork, get into school, stuff like that. It's like, okay, we're rooting for you. Then they do the trick in hiring the sister into getting the art therapy position, which she is not qualified for. It's like, okay, we're still rooting for you. Let's see where this is going. Uh, then they get the uh, the driver fired, and then they get the then they poison the uh, yeah. housekeeper and get her fired. And it's like, all right, what the hell are you doing? And so we're not necessarily against them or rooting for them. We're just fascinated to see where this is going next, and you're kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop for there to be some big dramatic reveal in the middle, which we're going to get to, but just the first half, the way it moves, the way these characters are you know, characterized, you just understand them so clearly you feel for them, but you also get a clear picture of their flaws. Yeah. It's just like and I feel like, setup. It is. And I feel like for me, I love a heist movie and like a, you know, Revenge of the Nerds type, like, you know, the, I guess, more Robin Hood. These people from the slums are, you know, just redistributing wealth in their own way. Um, so both of those things, like it really it really gave heist movie this like quick paced, almost montage of like, OK, like we've got this guy in and now we find this little bit of information to get this guy in and then give this little bit of information to get this guy in. And then all of a sudden they're in their like sweet spot. They're in their prime. Um, and then when it goes from that quick twist to, to the, you know, the old housekeeper coming back and going in the basement is just this, like, it's like, that's the next movie. Like this movie, like you said, Brian, it's just, these sequences are so, um, <clears throat> they're so specific and their own type of genre almost. And then it's a quick cut to something completely different. Um, I loved it. That first sequence I thought was, was fabulous. Yeah. It's amazing to me how well the movie 
like draws you in in that first hour before it even like the movie hasn't really revealed what it is yet and it's all really set up but that he's dabbling in like these comedic elements and doing good character work and and throughout there are like consistent threads of like the the scholars rock and the the smell like he's he's planting all this stuff he's doing a lot of narrative heavy lifting but it never feels heavy-handed in the way he's like planting these seeds and like putting a lot of information you know in your head about what's going to happen so it's really well done yeah that sequence of of them getting hired is just it's it's really funny the the way that they do it and like everything sort of works out and and it does like play up the drama of it particularly uh when they get when they start getting people fired and how they uh how they pull that off and it shows you like the details of how they're uh hiding details from the family and like leading them along this path so yeah it's uh it's really well done i love that sequence i think too like with um it shows that there's kind of a non-traditional or or a different form of morals in how their parent the parenting um like how the mom and dad are like wow you guys could be real con people wow good getting Mm -hmm. this going and i think i've been watching um the the tv show shameless it was a i think it was showtime um Mm -hmm. and it's there's a lot of moral ambiguity there because they're so poor and it's about survival and i think there's a lot of that mirrored here in that you know yes like conning people isn't great but also their house is falling apart i mean we see it during the flooding scene like they are in pretty severe poverty they don't have the luxury of seeing good and evil black and white they have this murky gray area of we need to figure out how to survive and when you're a person who's existing in poverty and you come across a person of such such supreme wealth like the park family i imagine the kim family it's this thing of like not necessarily necessarily resentment but just they don't need to have that much money like we we deserve something and so the parks aren't necessarily their enemies but they're certainly it yeah i don't know the idea of ownership possession wealth i'm sure are a little bit uh warped from just existing in their circumstance for so long yeah and it's a very different movie from like uh Oh, there there are lots of movies about poverty, but most of them take the almost the bicycle thieves track of like you're showing them suffering and trying to be good. And then that one does have a a turn into, you know, moral ambiguity at at the end of like being forced to to do something. But this from the very beginning, they're existing in this and it's. It feels, yeah, it it feels different of like he's showing us someone who it there's there's a a very like push and pull nature of power throughout this. And he's not showing us people who are 
powerless. He's showing people who are finding ways to survive, take advantage of the system. You know, they're in get free Wi-Fi, get free fumigation. You know, they're they're finding ways to survive in a really interesting way um, that I find compelling. Which is, again, uh, the two themes. And this is going to be my thesis at the end of this sight and sound list is that the two mm. themes we're constantly seeing are uh humans fight to survival whatever that needs to look like um and often how that that has to go against cultural or religious morals of whatever their uh Mm -hmm. society or group is and that the patriarchy is crap and um (laughs) (laughs) and (laughs) and then everything that comes along with that and often those two things are intertwined because it's survival as a result of living in a patriarchal society but that's not the situation here but yeah i mean humans fight to survival is so innate and um so i don't know i i i yes the the kim family does a lot of like individual wrong things but mm-hmm. i don't find that their entire behavior as a whole is like reprehensible <laughs> it's something i hope to never have to do <laughs> but yeah Olivia, one of the themes of our podcast is that we always end up sympathizing with murderers. So we're like, <laughs> well, yeah, like Mr. Kim killed him at the end, but like you can see why. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so to like the the f- different way the families are run. There's the discussion in the middle of the film, right before everything starts going downhill, that like. Oh yeah, their money makes them nice. They can afford to be nice. Yeah, that's why you know the poor family. They have to they stick together to survive. And whereas the upper class family, you know, they're nice to each other, but they're kind of going through the motions of a typical, I suppose, in America, what we call a nuclear family. Um, yet as they rise up through the ranks they become sort of more mean-spirited to other working-class peoples, obviously getting those the other two employees fired and then refusing to help them yeah. later. Just like small details about them eating at the pizza mm-hmm. place that they were supposed to work at and like the, like the begrudging face of the waiter serving them immediately mm-hmm. followed by the introduction of the sauce packet and this, the way that whole sequence flowed together, the power dynamics are just so clearly conveyed. It's just, it's, it's just so good. Yeah. Really just the, the way that this film shows you things and rewards careful watching um, is really excellent. Yeah, um, then, go ahead. Bye. And then by the end, like as they continue to rise up the ranks and become crueler, they just see more and more how the supposedly nice, wealthier family is just casually cruel to them. Like, yeah, you keep waiting for a reveal like, oh, they're going to find out and it's going to be all chaos. That really doesn't happen until the very end. The reveal is they're just naturally even maybe unintentionally cruel like the way the whole thing with the smell and even the symbols of wealth like the scholars rock and uh, i've heard peaches are a symbol of wealth in korean culture 
Oh, interesting. Don't quote me on that. That's just something <laughs> I've heard repeated. And so, like, these little objects playing throughout the part, it's yeah. just, it's enthralling. It is. Yeah. So, there's a, I, I, uh, heard a bong quote where he's talking about the the name of this movie and that it has somewhat of a double meaning because he sees both the park family and the kim family as parasites i think that's Mm. really key to making this movie work is he's he's criticizing both in some ways he's looking at them and saying yeah this you know this poor family is obviously you know a lot of the things they do are not great but look at this rich family as well and the things that are societally acceptable that they do but that are really just as insidious as what this poor family does so just the inherent like the way it's structured forcing conflict between the two is the problem instead of just villainizing characters or such yeah 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 but i think it's interesting is that the the parasitic traits of the wealthy family are in line with what is revered in culture mm-hmm. and the parasitic traits of the poor family are aligned with what's like considered you know trash or un- unacceptable um and that's just kind of how it is everywhere all the time there are Mm -hmm. things that are that are good that are bad that wealthy class or privileged classes do but society is built up around those types of classes to lift them up so the things like looking down upon your servant staff um or even Mm -hmm. even the quiet ways you talk about them with your spouse and you know in private um you're allowed to do but yeah yeah is this re-emphasizing of that struggle. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the discovering the bunker scene. Yeah, what? So... Oh my gosh. Did you guys see this Ooh. coming at all your first time around? Like when when the new the housekeeper showed back up all manic at the door? I had no idea what was happening. No. Yeah. yeah no same. Fool. And that I think that just like her 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 panicked face in the doorbell camera stuck in my head for like that's one of the <laughs> the snapshots of this film that's been in my head since I saw it the first time and yeah. oh it's so good so for, good for me it's the uh the run down into the bonk bunker that long tracking shot where yeah. you're following Mrs. Kim and she's just like what is this <laughs> it's yeah. incredible um but yeah part of that is is the setup here with her at the doorbell and then sort of being manic when she comes inside and then like pushing the cabinet like with her whole body (laughs) just like (laughs) because to this point like you have no idea that like this lady is uh like that's so out of character for what she was so put together yeah yeah so yeah, it's just really, really exciting the way it, it does it. And I think part of that comes from not setting it up like a typical thriller. Like in a typical thriller, you'd get a really thrilling moment like this after a lot of suspense and like build up. 
but there's really it just takes a real hard left turn into this once that doorbell rings that it it's really surprising in a way that works really well yeah i remember specifically waiting for something to happen because by reputation it was a thriller and the film had reached a sort of status quo where they got where they wanted to be they're Mm -hmm. ruminating about the future and then that doorbell went off like almost perfectly halfway through the movie and like my stomach dropped it was like here we go it's like (laughs) starting to go over the edge on a roller coaster and then from there on out it just it was like the best thing ever didn't drop for a second yeah Yeah. it really keeps that pace up from there and part of that is that like not a whole lot of time passes throughout the rest of the movie like you've seen maybe a couple of weeks up to this point and then it's really like 24 hours from that moment that the bulk of the rest of the movie takes place yeah that's a good point it's so intense yeah and so it sort of functions as like a one crazy night movie in some ways, which I, I tend to really uh, resonate with, with those types of movies, You're just like with the characters almost in real time while the stuff is happening. The bottle episode, you know, we just... A little bit, yeah. <laughs> Man. <laughs> okay, I... next... Yeah, yeah. Oh. I I just, I, I don't know, I want to talk about this forever, but I don't have any prompts to ask about... I, my only thing was that I found it um, the <laughs> I mean, so the idea was that the husband is was was able to normally just or sorry, Jiang say uh, the housekeeper's husband. I'm yeah, just do yeah. that descriptor. He was able to just roam around the house prior, but he got wedged in somehow. Is that how it was? Yep. So. Okay. Yeah, uh, Moon Kwong would bring him food. Like the family remarks, the Park family remarks, like, we love her. She eats a lot of food, though, (laughs) like double a normal portion. And it's because, and she's paying for it, but she is basically bringing him food down there. And he's also able to get out and roam around on his own, but it's sort of dangerous. And so he doesn't do it a lot, is what it seems like. Okay. And then the combination of uh, Moon Kwong getting fired and then something does get wedged under there so he can't get out yeah. um, is is what causes them to like be there starving for, you know, a couple of weeks. Which is so wild. It Man, is. it's so wild. I don't know. I My first thought was, though, he's quite tan for someone who lives in a basement, but... <laughs> But then you kind of see the the show of, you know, when the when well when the architect move out before the parks moved in and then as the parks are gone, he was just kind of in the house with the housekeeper. They were dancing in the living room to records and it was very, mm-hmm. very sweet. Her devotion to her husband, um, and their little jokes and ways they played, I always I, I thought was was very sweet. It wasn't you know, they were a plot, not a plot device. They were more than that, but they weren't like outright bad pe- bad guys and yeah. you know, to the Kim's good guys. It was that they were also in this situation, not necessarily like a parasitic type thing in the way the Kims are, but mm-hmm. um, they were taking advantage of the parks in their way as a means of survival because the debtors were after, you know, the husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did have this this sweet, 
friendship and marriage, which I I, I appreciated the yeah, the, of- the massage she was giving him while he was watching videos on the on the phone. <laughs> it was really funny. <laughs> all of the characters are humanized in a really compelling way. Like there are no two dimensional characters here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just really well done. I loved it. One small moment I want to point out is when the two are reminiscing after after they get out of the basement and are holding the other the family hostage they're just sitting there reminiscing on their time in the sun uh and there's a shot of the two of them drinking tea and then uh, what's his name again the guy who's in the basement i'm uh, sorry for Unicat. butchering his name yeah. i've been calling him uh, just the housekeeper's husband because i don't i don't know uh, <laughs> gwen say yeah. Sorry about mm-hmm. that. No, he he looks towards the camera, and it just immediately cuts to the family rushing him. And yeah. that that's probably my favorite moment in the movie because it was just so funny. Yeah, like, it's just like that break from fantasy into reality is both sad and very very funny in the moment. <laughs> just yeah, the way that that cut is executed. Because it also, I mean, obviously it caught them off guard, but it caught us off guard too, because we didn't see the park or the Kim family planning that attack. We saw them in like arms raised resignation of like, Mm -hmm. we're going to regroup, obviously, and, you know, try to destroy this video, but Mm -hmm. you don't see them like three, two, one charge, which Mm -hmm. um, I liked being on like the, that end of things to be surprised Mm -hmm. by it. It just switches perspective for them for a brief moment. And throughout the um, the flood sequence, which we'll get to in a second, just keeps oh. going back and forth. And it yeah. just equalizes the perspective and shows, all right, mm-hmm. they are in the same boat. They should be working together. What went wrong is that they started fighting. Yeah. And the the power, the shifts in power from uh, the you know, Moon Kwong and Junsei uh don't have any power at first and they're like pleading with mrs kim like just let us live here you know bring him a meal once a week and like all of this all of this stuff and then they get the power when they realize that the kims are are conning the parks and they have this video and and so then like the shift in power there and then the Kim family like takes takes the power back and like all of that back and forth of like they're they sh- like you said they should be working together like there's it, things would have <laughs> ended up a lot better if they'd have come to some understanding and and the Kim's son Ki-woo I think realizes that and goes down to the basement you know, the next day to to try to come to some sort of understanding and that doesn't doesn't really work out for him. That's um, interesting. I didn't mm-hmm. I was having trouble understanding he woo's intent there. Because mm-hmm. he like he walks down with the you call it a scholar's stone, scholar's yeah, rock. Scholar's rock. Yeah. And I don't know the entire um cultural significance of that type of of a, of a scholar's rock, but that it ends up being the thing that Jin San, you know, tries to Jinsei, mm-hmm. you know, tries to murder Kiwu with is a whole other thing. But mm-hmm. what is Kiwu's intent to walk downstairs? Is he looking to make peace? 
Yeah, he's looking to come to some sort of understanding with them. Okay. Because um, we know we know that his sister is obviously trying to, because we get that dialogue between her and the mom, like, you know, bring them some food, try to talk to them, we can work this out. Like, as yeah. everybody comes down, but obviously the housekeeper is, has died, so her husband is just like... Yeah. He's off the rails now. Um, but it is it is interesting how each family... You know, they they come when they're in a position of weakness or submission, they come pleading. And their first reaction when they're in a position of power on either side is almost this like dominance thing mm-hmm. until they come down and realize, no, we need we're we're both in the same boat. We need to work through this together. Um mm-hmm. it's just they they they're never on the same page at the same time, unfortunately. It was just like the scene prior when Kiwu was with uh, the girl, he, like, he was like, "Do I belong here?" And he just got the sense that he didn't. And mm-hmm. I had always thought that he was, he brought the rock to like finish them off or something. That's what but I thought honestly, too. I don't even think he knew why he was going down there. I think he just felt he had to. Yeah, interesting. Like, it's yeah. ambiguous why, mm-hmm. but any different way any different motivation he could have had they're all interesting yeah and when viewed in the context it just provides so many angles to look at it yeah that's what makes movies like this special they don't tell you they just let it play out and then you make your own judgments i did have a um you know he's walking down the stairs holding the stone and then he drops it and I remember last time I watched it and this time I watched it, I had this thing in my, where I wanted to scream, don't go down there. They know you're coming. Like <laughs> You've lost your advantage of sneaking up on them. You just threw a rock down the stairs. Um, yeah. Oh, poor kid. Oh, man. Poor kid. Yeah. He threw out is, I mean, there's obviously not great stuff that he does, but I, I think he gets in just a little over his head and, you know, I've, he's the one that I feel the most bad for, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think it's hard, too, because you learn at the beginning of the movie from his friend um, who, you know, put uh, recommends him for the job that he's like taken the college entrance exam four times. And it sounds like he took it for in different like areas of academic study. So like this is a kid who is intelligent and probably doesn't belong to live in the slums, but ha- doesn't have the means to get out of the slums. Um, mm-hmm. And he's the Lip Gallagher to make a, sh- a shameless reference. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, he's the person who who shouldn't really be there and finally sees his way out, but doesn't have the guidance um either societally or from his parents to get out in a way that can actually set him up for success um i think this is this is jumping ahead a little bit but um this is i didn't see this the first time i watched it um so we're going to talk about the whole scene and a little bit of the torrential downpour but the the kim's there excuse yeah the kim's come home to their apartment flooded and so they're going and they're at you know uh a large arena or whatever and where everyone's just packed in and given, you know, dry beds to sleep for the night because all of their apartments are flooded. And um, 
he the Mr. Kim, the dad, gives this whole speech about how like having a plan in life is kind of pointless because yeah. you know, you can't be disappointed by a plan. You just go with the flow and you let life give you what life gives you. And then you jump to the end of the movie where he he Wu is making a plan to free his father. And it's this big long plan of here's what I'm gonna do. Everything I'm gonna do is to be for your freedom. Um, is mm-hmm. to come, I'm gonna make money, I'm gonna buy the house, I'm gonna gain you your freedom. Um, and so Kiwu was finally able to jump out of you know, the 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 cards that he's been dealt for his life and say, Okay, I'm gonna do it the right way and um the way the society tells me I'm supposed to, and I'm going to make my plan. And I, I thought that was a really interesting, um, you know, he, he'd he been given this one lot in life and this one type of direction from his family and just from the, the class that he was in. Um, and even though he really wasn't meant to live like that, and he's fin- finally making the, the, realizes this is how I need to get out of it. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know. I don't think it's necessarily like the way you're supposed to get out. Um, because like the way it ends is extremely uncertain. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have another quote here. Um, I don't know who this is from. It's just from the Wikipedia article. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says it, it is even if he did manage to buy the house, it does not address the fundamental problem at hand. Even in this fantasy scenario, Kaitiak would still be contained to the house by a legal system that would seek his prosecution and in, and imprisonment. The forces that created and upheld the Kim family separation would not be undone, merely adapted to. I think that's the whole thing. Like, okay, uh, he like he deserves to go to college, move up, and and get a good job but he can't afford to and so you have to cheat your way up and you're going to get knocked back down even if you try to work your way up legitimately there's still going to be a mess because both yeah. the i mean the, the fathers of both families i get the two families mixed up sorry but you could say poor dad rich both dad, the, poor dad. Both the poor <laughs> families have right. tried and failed at like starting their own businesses and stuff like that yeah it's like there seems it's just presenting you the ladder and the obstacles on the ladder. And yeah, yeah it's just like, it is it's I don't presenting really you. It's... The epilogue is presenting you a fantasy sequence of this guy who's gonna, but throughout the movie, like you said, we've been shown that trying to do things the legitimate way, you know, there's, you're not going to have, success necessarily and so it's almost this fantasy sequence of like everything's gonna work out in the end but there's something that's also sort of deeply tragic about it of like we've been shown that this will probably not work and like you said even in his wildest dream fantasies like the um you know mr kim still wanted for murder and could not leave the house um but we saw that the housekeeper's husband lived a nice, happy life, you know, confined to the Debatable. house. Well. <laughs> well, happy until the very end. But I mean, like he, they at at the best, he or at you know the 
less least violent, it was a pretty content life. He was with his partner. Um, it's true. I don't know. Yeah. I is it? I I'm going to be honest, guys. The first time I watched this, I didn't think that the like the going to college, making money, buying a house thing. I didn't realize that was like a fantasy. I thought that actually happened. And then we yeah. just jumped forward in time. It was this time around <laughs> that I was like, oh, it didn't this happen. Like, yeah. This is his just like a, this that, like letter and promise to his father. Yeah. I thought it was yeah. like it was his promise in the letter. And then we saw it actually happening. <laughs> yeah. So then I watched it again this time and I was like, oh, man, he doesn't actually do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'd like to stick with my that it actually happens. Yeah. All right. And either way, like it will definitively happen or it will definitively not. I think mm-hmm. saying either one definitively is just too simple for like what the movie wants to do. And it's mm-hmm. that note of uncertainty and having spent two hours seeing the problems that are in this these this sort of stair step society, that mm-hmm. uncertainty is like what's so tragic. Like that yeah. the struggle is there in the first place. Yeah. yeah. I think we're, we're seeing the, the effects of generational poverty. Um, and yeah. that is just, it's this consistent thing. I don't know. I, I still think that there's something about um, Kiwu, the, the son that is different. And I do, I don't know, maybe I'm just, I just want good things, but I do believe that there's something about him and his resolve that's different from his father in the way he goes about any sort of growth or advancement, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, the Morse code thing too. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, mm. let's, let's talk. We've mentioned the torrential downpour sequence. Um. I do want to, talk a little bit more about that so really it's right when the the kim family has escaped from the park house that night they discover you know well they they go back like down a bunch of stairs <laughs> which yeah they're is, literally like yeah. <laughs> diving into the crevasse to go home like there's yeah. it is like metaphor 101 that they're just like following the rain into the gutters and climbing down into the gutters to get yeah. to their home it's wild. and then their home is completely underwater pretty much and they're you know uh looking for things and they end up spending the night in essentially this uh seems like a like a converted stadium sort of thing for people who were affected by the the floods and so that sequence like the it it is a little bit of a break from the thriller uh that we've uh we've entered into in the movie by this point and just gives a chance for bong to show off some of his like filmmaking chops in terms of like <laughs> neat shots and uh and using some of those metaphors and like giving the movie like a little bit of breathing room and depth here so i like that sequence quite a bit i do too yeah. i wonder and i know we'll never know but it just made me think you know you see mr uh mr kim with a box and he's grabbing things from the house and i just wonder like what are you trying to save? Like, what's important to you to save from your home? 
I think it's just a general question I would have for any of the people who are like, their home is flooding, they're grabbing things to leave. Um, what are they grabbing? Obviously, the daughter goes and grabs a roll of her, her pack of cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> and just like the shot of her smoking on the exploding toilet. Um, so good. <laughs> it's so good. She's just like, I can, like it's like definition rock bottom. Um, yeah. And just the the the. And then you get the difference between the Park family and what they're deal- what they're experiencing, this like peaceful rain, watching their child camp. I, it's lightning and thundering, though, why they have their letting their child be out in the rain, whatever. But the lightning, not great. But they're just watching their child and looking over their beautiful manicured lawn. And then you go to the Kim family who are there like literally covered in exploding poop like yeah (laughs) the difference between their two experiences is obviously obvious throughout the entire movie but in this specific moment is so funny to me yeah oh gosh in the aftermath we we get you know there's the line right oh the rain cleared all the pollution and that's what and that one meme shot of the guy driving just like Mm -hmm. ugh and then (laughs) Like the specific intercutting between the chaos in the gym and like the serene party setup, it's just like mm-hmm. perfectly balanced together to show you this is what's going on, and it's yeah. it's both. I don't know. It's makes you angry, makes you sad, and that whole flooding sequence of the movie is like the only part of the movie that isn't funny. Even yeah. even the yeah. parts where people are like getting stabbed or like. Yeah. absurdly heightened whereas that sequence is just played dead straight yeah um which i mean just we've been talking a lot about how the film balances tone but it just yeah snaps and flows between them so seamlessly it's very impressive yeah because it's the flooding isn't like i mean it's a very very intense flood but it's not like this big hyperbolic natural disaster scene it's like no this is just what happens in the slums in seoul when we get a torrential downpour like yeah houses flood and that's what happens and it's a very very tragic thing that but they don't need to like hype it up with really intense violin music and and you know all of these shots of of family pictures sinking to the bottom it's just it's very much this is what it is and it sucks mm-hmm. i am um, and yeah you're right olivia like the scene right after where Mr. Kim is with Mrs. Park and they're shopping and she's just chatting on the phones and with such frivolity and his deadpan face is so good. Like he's just (laughs) like, I'm here. I'm not supposed to have emotion, but you just see like the resignation in his eyes. Just this, like I, everything sucks. Like, and, and he can't let her know because that's completely unprofessional. And it's also, she would never understand what he's been through. Um, oh, it's so good. Yeah. And of course, the through line with like the smell and such, <laughs> like he, just him slowly losing it over the course of that night and that day, yeah. building to the climax, like the way, the way it just makes emotional sense despite being played really heightened in the actual sequence is, it's just so, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and there are so there is foreshadowing 
in other ways in the movie that's a little more subtle watching it this time the the emphasis on the smell and that foreshadowing setting up you know mr kim killing mr park he he does do that a lot and really see that but i i think that's that's important like it, you've you've got to understand why mr kim is killing mr park for the movie to work and so right. making that a little bit more like yeah like i'm gonna like hit you over the head with the smell thing so that like 99 percent of the audience knows what's going on when we get to that final sequence i think makes sense where the other foreshadowing he can do a little bit more subtlety because it's not so critical narratively for you to understand like what's going on with you know the the scholars rock for example yeah i think we can move on to the party scene um, just because yeah. you, you brought in Mister, so you know we talk. It, it's it's this fun party. This it which there are some kids at, but it's really for Mrs. Park. You know, all of her little yeah. society friends are there. It's so fun. You kind of see all of the Kim or all of yeah all of the Kim family. They're still servants at the party. You know, um, more mm -hmm. the 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 mom and dad, but you know they're still there. Um. And then, of course, the descent into just pure chaos when the housekeeper's husband gets out, um, bludgeons the son, stabs the daughter. And then you see he he terrifies the park child to he has another seizure. And then there's this chaos of the Kim family breaking from their roles as individual servants to the parks and coming together as a family. Because the parks have got to be confused. Like, why does their driver care so much about their tutors or their child's tutor getting stabbed? Oh, and now our housekeeper cares about the tutor getting stabbed. Yeah. Um, and how the 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 park family, excuse me, the Kim family has to choose their own family over the lie to the park family. Um, yeah, is just amazing, and so then you see this confusion in the park family of like why why aren't you coming like give us the mm -hmm. keys we have to go like you know like this is really important um mm -hmm. man so good so i the other yeah. aspect too is you know mr kim is holding his daughter who's been stabbed and the park's son is having a seizure and they're like the the park family is basically like screaming at him, like come over and help our son instead, even though, you know, obviously, you know, the uh, daughter Ki Jung has the more serious medical emergency of like literally being dying right now. Right. And so there's that aspect of it too, in addition to what's been seeded from the smell of like, he really sees the depths of them just not having empathy, not caring about, you know. Yeah. Uh, care about our wealthy child before you care about our poor servant. Yes. Um, yeah. Which I mean, at the same time, like a seizure is a pretty serious medical issue. Mm -hmm. And you know, that like she she does preface it, the the Mrs. Park earlier in the movie mm -hmm. when she's speaking with someone about, you know. He has 15 minutes to get to the hospital. 
um, from a seizure at his age. So like, it's not, it's not like he stubbed his toe. It is a, a serious mm-hmm. medical issue, but um, <laughs> yeah. it's not that they don't have their own problem. It's just that they're tunnel visions. And yeah. then of course, built into the moment where uh, Mr. Park smells the housekeeper's hum- husband yeah, and this upsets like so much that he he just, he decides to kill his boss instead of the guy who had just stabbed his daughter. Yeah, and it's this weird thing of like, okay, you see that you should have been working together this whole time, but mm-hmm. it's too late and absolutely in the wrong way, and it's both just surreal and bizarre and just very sad mm-hmm. yeah i love it's the just... the news report that tries to explain what happens at the birthday party like after the, in the the sort of epilogue sequence uh you see like apparently it started when this homeless man showed up but then this one guy stabbed this other guy and like we know why everything happened but them right. trying to sort through it is really funny I think it's interesting. I mean, you know, we we were just talking about the the smell thing and these just very subtle subtle slights that Mr. Kim has been perceiving the whole movie. And because I think all of the news reports in terms of, you know, Mr. Kim stabbing Mr. Park is like this is an act of of unexplainable confusing violence like we don't know why this happened they seem to be on good terms and it's one of those things where like we know what happened but only because of these subtle digs that built over time over time over time but there's no way the news would know that and i think that it was shown really well in this movie for us us to 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 almost understand um gosh so good it is so good well i think those are the primary sequences that i wanted to talk about i want to talk about the characters a little bit in like a a whole movie sort of way instead of just in the sequences mm-hmm. which of the the characters in this movie really stand out to you as like this is exceptional work i'm in my head taking the characters off the list that i don't want to talk about <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, the park kids or whatever. The even Mrs. Kim Mrs. Kim, the new housekeeper, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um I think Mrs. Park is really interesting. Um yeah. you know, being just this like wealthy housewife, um, yeah. who's a little bit naive. Yeah she seems like she's maybe a little bit lonely. Like I think she and her husband do have a very loving marriage, but he's just also a very important person who has very important work. And yeah. um, so she obviously has her role as his romantic partner, but also a role as like his, you know, hot society wife. Yeah. Um, not, I don't think she's a trophy wife. Like I do think that their love is genuine, mm-hmm. but um. Yeah. Just the there's also like a very interesting way that the parks use the Kims to keep secrets from each other. Like, you know, don't tell my wife I did this or yeah. even when 
uh, Mr. Kim is getting his wife hired as the housekeeper, he like, you know, gives the card to Mr. Park, but he's like, oh, would you pretend that you found it? You know, there's like little ways that the the Parks use the Kims to keep secrets from each other, but the Kims also know that position and use that to kind of indebt themselves to the individual Park people. Um yes in a way that I think is really interesting, but especially with Mrs. Park, just this, like, you can tell that there is this, um, I guess, loneliness in her a little bit of, mm-hmm. of you know, she, what she's asking of from her, um, her, her servant staff and, and kind of the emotional mm-hmm. position she puts them in, I think is really interesting. Yeah. Mrs. Park for me is the most interesting character because she carries so much of the uh narrative and like making the movie work on her shoulders of like you need to believe that she would be pretty gullible and like go along with all of this stuff that is happening but she also needs to be believable and so that uh how she's written and that performance really unlocks like (laughs) making the movie work like that's where it could have most easily gone wrong i think if that wasn't done as well as it is yeah because her character needs to be you know naive and trusting i my my backstory in my head for her is that you know she is um she's from society and has only lived in society and doesn't understand how different her experience is from her servant staff. And, but she wants to trust so much because she can't imagine the idea of being taken for a ride by this family. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And also there might be a little bit of like savior complex or guilt complex in her of like i have so much i need to be understanding of those who have less or i can help by giving money kind of thing um yeah Yeah. but you're right it's it's so well acted it's so good Mm -hmm. and uh i was just gonna go for uh kimu i I, he's sort of disillusionment arc of being optimistic that he can you know he can get the job. It might be, you know, bending the rules a little bit, but he's going to go and he's going to go to college after. It's just the one thing. And he has this sort of romance with his pupil, which is kind of creepy. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's, it's kind of creepy. But and then you just keep watching him and he gets just feels more and more out of place. And by the end, he knows he absolutely has to like make a name for himself, do well, not even just to survive anymore, but just to be reunited with his dad. It ends exactly where it started, but it's cold and depressing. And so he's disillusioned, but he just has to press on. And there's still this hope. Maybe it's naive. Maybe it'll work out. Um, this whole disillusionment and uncertainty is just very compelling and i think that's what makes the ending of the movie like that's what makes me cry at the end that's what makes it so tragic and yeah it's just yeah Yeah. but absolutely really they all feel like lived in actual people even if they're like like the park kids 
they're kind of just say things, but they're believable. Yeah. And everyone else just perfect. They fit their role in the story while also feeling like they exist outside the story. Definitely. Yeah. I think I think the park daughter I thought was I mean, she she had she wasn't just a plot device, but she did provide some comic relief. Just yeah. like yes. the cute way where she like asks him if his if you know he that's his girlfriend and you know she's like definitely smitten and um <laughs> and then she you know the thing at the end where she's like mom you asked you know you had this soup made for brother and then you asked dad if you wanted it. he said no so you just ate it but I would have wanted it like yeah. she's just so fifteen years old in a way that's like <laughs> so charming. Um, yeah. And yeah, like you said, like every character felt very believable. I'm realizing mm-hmm. that, I mean, aside from Mrs. Park, like you did get a lot of dialogue, but not a ton of like, this is who I am. This is what I believe. These are my values. This is These are my worries. Like the characters were really well acted, but there wasn't a ton of exposition. Like so yeah. much of it was just, atmosphere and kind of throughout the movie the movie shows you the characters motives but the actors don't necessarily do that does that make sense um yeah i think way, so and, yeah yeah and some of the characters get they they all feel lived in and three-dimensional some of them get like arcs and some of them don't um i don't think either of the um women in the Kim family really get an arc. Um, yeah. And the mom, I think, is is really well done. Uh, she gets some really comedic moments and just is, is like a fun... I, I really like that character quite a bit. And I think she's perfect for what she is, doesn't really need an arc. The daughter, though, I feel like, you know, if anything negative is to be said about this movie maybe she's a little underserved by the story and i get and that she's like, killed so yeah she's killed <laughs> uh, and it's tragic and i get that like one of them sort of needs to die at the end for there to be like the the movie's sense of like they've they've done enough wrong that it feels like there needs to be some consequence right but the her dying specifically and she's so good like the character is so good she's probably the best liar of all of them Mm -hmm. (laughs) in terms of like the art therapy stuff like that's really funny and so it sort of seems like her character is going to go somewhere and then you know she's just sort of killed off so that's sort of a bummer to me but yeah, if if I have anything negative to say about this movie, it's that her character like gun to your head, make make a critique. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think that that's true because you do it. You know, you kind of I really like the that brother sister relationship they have, mm-hmm. where you know they're playful and they're silly, but they're old enough to be able to like kind of be leading this endeavor and even before um there there are a couple of scenes where the wife makes i don't think they're digs but they're kind of like teases at the husband of like that the kids are the ones setting up this plan like it's their plan we're just here for it. you know they bought dinner with their wages you don't have a job you know and yeah. so it's like they're they're adult siblings 
doing this little thing together. And so it does give you a little bit of hope for them and just even their, you know, generation that they can um, be the ones to help claw the family out of poverty. Mm -hmm. Um, And and then she has to go die. So that's... I do like, though, like, Hannah, like you mentioned, she does come to the mom and say, like, hey, we need to fix this. Like, she is a little bit more level-headed in that. And Mm -hmm. if things had not gone horribly wrong, like, maybe she is able to to figure it out a little bit. Yeah. I feel like this... Oh, go ahead, Olivia. No, I was just saying, uh, the parents... Like, they're never, like, blamed for the way, like, the circumstance of families. And it's like, oh, it's, they're never like, oh, they're poor because of these two parents. But it is worth noting that there is a generational aspect to the film. And that those two parents are, like, they make the two biggest mistakes in killing people. They're the only two who, like, first, the, the mother's antagonism to the person she's replacing as housekeeper i mean that's pretty much where it all goes wrong and then mr kim snapping in the end so there is sort of a generational interplay that ties into both you know the sort of uh husband wife dynamic and then the class dynamic so it's it is intersectional it like it Mm -hmm. examines this whole web without feeling overblown or bloated or preachy just you see that's a really good point yeah that it's that in in their con it's the the most erratic behaviors are by the parents and not the children which again Mm -hmm. gives me hope that (laughs) that kiwu is gonna buy the house and save his dad um yeah just honorable mention to the mom kicking the old housekeeper down the (laughs) stairs so good so intense but yeah brutal i had i i remember having like a physical reaction the first time i saw it and then maybe five seconds before we we saw it we watched it uh finished it last night five seconds before it happened i knew it was gonna happen and it was like a (laughs) oh no like the sounds the thumping and then the crack (laughs) oh gosh so bad Oh my god. Oh, okay. The one that stood out to me cuz I had forgotten about this um was the um uh Jinsei hitting uh Kiwu oh, with the scholar's rock. Yeah. <laughs> that you <laughs> It's like a a setup and punchline that like the first time he hits him with the rock you don't see it. And then, like, the second time, it's just, like, in plain view. He just, like, throws the rock at his head again. And yeah. Like, see it happen. So it's just, like, playing with our expectations of violence not being shown and then violence being shown is, I, I just, like, that's so clever. And, the whole build-up to that is so very good. scary and very funny. Yeah. 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 That, I know, Olivia, you you keep using the word funny and you're right. Like this movie, it's not a comedy, but there are very like intense things and the way that they're filmed are are kind of funny. Like it 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 mm-hmm. adds this almost like hyperbole to the chaos in a way that it yeah, it is funny. 
Yeah. But it's funny in like a way that you're like, ooh, should I find that funny? What's wrong with me that I, <laughs> I'm enjoying it yeah. in this way? I think yeah, this movie. This... Oh, go ahead. I was just saying like nervous laughter. It's both stress <laughs> and release yeah. at the same time. It just it makes it entertaining. Well, yeah, you, you never forget that this is pretty serious. Cool. Well, uh, Olivia, do you have any final thoughts? Anything we didn't cover? Um. The score is extremely good. Mm. Listen to that a lot. And just generally, I like talking about movies and finding value in movies and hearing about people when they like movies that you don't and don't yeah. like movies that you do. It's fun. That's why I've had fun on this <laughs> podcast. It's been a great time. Yeah, oh, great. Had well, fun with you. Yeah. Yeah. Super happy to to have you on and uh and get your thoughts on this one. Um I think my in terms of a final thought like the the way that this just functions on a technical level as a great thriller really elevates it. It it's similar to get out to me where everyone was talking about like the message of this film and the class differences and how strong it was as like a, a message film but just on a technical level as like a, a thriller and a great movie it just functions so well on on that level where even if it didn't have like really something to say about the world it would still be I think one of the greats just on like the what's happening in the filmmaking and how compelling it is like on that level it's just so wonderful mm -hmm. such a good movie yeah any um, final thoughts hannah be nice to people yeah general, just gen <laughs> just generally be nice to people um uh yeah i think we covered everything about the movie i want to cover i just i really loved it again it's one of those it's not <laughs> you know there are movies where like you love it you could watch it a million times you want to show all your friends this is a movie where I, like i need a break from it after i watch it like i can't watch this thing over and over and over again <laughs> the last time i watched yeah. it was 2019 yeah. i think every four years is enough because it's it sits <laughs> with you um it does but yeah i mean i guess just like visually it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. The brightness and openness and greenness of the wealthy house and the brownness and dinginess and all of that of the slums that that Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. No notes. Beautiful movie. No notes. Perfect. All right. Well, it's time for our 2001 A Space Odyssey fact segment. So, Olivia, this is where I uh, bludgeon Hannah with the scholar's rock of 2001 A Space Odyssey facts. You uh, prepped that, didn't you? I No, I didn't. It came to me uh, off the cuff. So we watched this together a while ago and it didn't really click with Hannah. And so now I'm trying to convince her through facts and trivia that it's great may or may not be uh the best way to convince someone that a movie I mean, is great but i, I try my best <laughs> generally like logicking me 
into submission is uh, a pretty good way to get me on board. Generally, there's one thing I've learned. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, today's 2001 Space Odyssey fact is Kubrick actually destroyed the spacecraft models that he used for the movie after filming because he was afraid that other directors would steal them from his movies. Uh, and he wanted them to only be in this movie. So they no longer exist. That sounds like something he would do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. uh eccentric, eccentric guy. I mean, um, I would use jer- a different word. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> let others, let others use your great models, you know, or at least put them in like the Academy Museum or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, give them to Roger Corman. You yeah, know, oh, he could have made good use of movies. them. Yeah, donate them to the Boys and Girls Club and give them a really fun playground. Yeah, you know, yeah, that'd be great. Okay, cool. So, Olivia, thank you for joining us. Is there anywhere anything about uh, you or your online persona that you'd like to share with our audience? Um, my, my main hub's Twitter. Uh, at Olivia Olive, one word. The first O was replaced by the number zero because yes, we will put links in my... the show notes so that yes. uh, so that people can catch them there. Yep. And my link tree is uh, linked right there. So find me on Twitter. You find me everywhere else. I Lovely. Put, uh, a silly amount of time to interconnecting my internet web of like yeah. twenty different platforms. yeah well i'm sure uh those who want to hear more from you appreciate that so yeah great well looking forward to uh to getting this episode published here our next movie is going to be spirit of the beehive which is a spanish film directed by victor aris and it is available to watch on the criterion channel so that's what we're going to be doing next week looking forward to that one so excited we may or may not have a special guest may or may not yeah it's exciting um having lots of and i have lately. not i have I not it. seen this movie yet so I, i'm i'm excited to see it i've not heard of this movie i didn't yeah. i had, i feel like you tell me a movie I, and i'm like brian what is the country of origin of this movie <laughs> like we're doing a spelling test <laughs> like that's um, true yep perfect <laughs> Okay. Well, this has been What a Picture. Olivia, you've been wonderful. Thanks for talking about a great movie. I'm glad it it seems to be also be a movie that means a lot to you, which is Mm -hmm. watching someone's favorite movie with them or talking about someone's favorite thing with them is like the most fun thing ever. Um, I've had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I think we all need to go um, do something really fun and lighthearted to just come (laughs) down from the... this experience but uh (laughs) perfect well this has been one picture see you guys next week see you later bye